Good morning. The first scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Revelation 19, 6 through 9. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words that come from God. This is the word of the Lord. Got your own mic there. I like that. Thank you, Henry. How many of you remember... uh, the radio, my favorite radio announcer, Paul Harvey. Does anybody remember Paul Harvey? Remember the name of his radio report? The rest of the story. Do you remember how he would sign off? Paul Harvey, pause. Good day. He was wonderful. I'll never forget listening to Paul Harvey one day, and he told the true story of frozen Thanksgiving turkey. And it was the Butterball Turkey Company. They set up a telephone hotline to help people you know, they would give consumers, you know, deal with questions. They were dealing with questions about how to prepare a holiday turkey, and they wanted to be there on the spot to help them out. Well, a woman called about cooking a turkey that had been in the bottom of her freezer for 23 years. True story. Well, the Butterball representative told her that as long as the turkey had been at the bottom of her freezer and, and, was always, and that the temperature in there was always below zero, It would probably be edible. It would probably be okay. However, she went on to say that if the turkey were eaten, that the taste would probably have deteriorated significantly because of how long it had been in the freezer. And the caller replied, hmm, that's what I thought. We'll give the turkey to our church. (laughs) Good day. Now, we want to give our best to the church. We want to give our best to this church, and it boils down to what we do. You know, everything we do to, to represent God and to glorify Him. And it applies to how we do worship. We'll talk in a moment about how worship is, is a verb. It's what we do to glorify Jesus. And it's what brings us to our topic. With one voice, worship is a verb. Now, ordinarily, I like to deal with a primary biblical text that we will walk through 
you know, and, and add other scripture that helps back it up. I'm not doing that this morning. I'm actually kind of jumping from uh, one scripture to the next, three different primary scriptures, because each one really approaches the issue of worship from its own unique angle. And I want to begin by reading Romans 15, 5, and 6, where Paul says, May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. Then all of you can join together with one voice, there's our title, with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to revisit that passage a little bit later. I want to move right into the outline that you have in your bulletin, and you can follow it up here on the screen as well. There are three ways that worship should move us as we do the work of the people, and we'll get to that in a moment as well. First of all, worship is an act of loving community. It's an act of loving community. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians six nineteen, where Paul says to the Corinthians, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Now, I did a whole sermon on this a number of months ago when we were talking about why go to church? Why should we go to church in the first place? But this is such an interesting verse because a lot of us know it very well, but we don't understand it really the way it's written. Uh, Typically, we understand the singular and the plural in this verse backwards. The you is actually plural. Temple is singular. Now, what does that say to us? What does that say to us? Well, Paul is saying all of you together are a singular temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, in context, he's wanting them to focus on, yeah, you need to take care of your body and honor God with your body. But right here, he's saying you as a church are the temple of the Holy Spirit, plural. Now, what does that say to us? Together, when we gather, somehow the Holy Spirit indwells here in a way that's mysterious and holy and probably indescribable on this side of reality. But that's what happens when we gather, which is why we should gather The church body is really where the Spirit dwells in such a significant way. Paul picks this up again in Ephesians 2, verses 20 and 21, backing up what we're talking about. Together we are His house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus Himself. We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. If that's not a reason to gather together for worship as a Christian, I don't know what else can be. But when we gather together, again, in some mysterious holy way, the Spirit resides in a profound sense. So what do we do? We act while we are in here as the Spirit is acting in and among us right now, as the Spirit does, which is what? Really, to love God and to love one another. That's really what it's about, and I know that you know that. We are so incredibly blessed here at Brookwood, really, to have such a loving congregation. In fact, a number of years ago, the first time we did one of those worship surveys, and it was very intense, and uh, uh, Dr. Penny Marler, my colleague, uh, who's retired now from the Department of Religion, who has analyzed, I don't know how many churches, hundreds of them across the country, And I remember asking her finally when she said, I have completed the assessment of Brookwood Baptist Church, and I asked her, what is the number one thing that you learned about us? And she said, it's a little abnormal. And I said, what? And she said, you all really like to be together. That's what she said. She said, that's not normally number one, (laughs) which to me is kind of sad, but we love being together. And that's so evident. I love how we are an intergenerational church. Some churches choose to be age-specific and target certain age range and all that. We don't do that. 
We're very intentionally intergenerational. We're very tribal in that sense, very family-oriented with that. And I love that. that, that you know, I saw it on the retreat the other weekend. Uh, just, it was just so cool, people of different ages just engaging each other the entirety of the time that I was there. And I'm sorry I missed this. The apex of it all was when Jenny Scott went down. The, Jenny, is Jenny in here? Jenny is what? What should I say? One of the mid senior adults here. That was that was smooth, and uh, but she climbed all the way up. On, how high is that thing? How high is that water slide? Four hundred feet. Uh, not quite, but but just imagine Jenny on a slide four hundred feet high. Thank you, Skip. And uh, but she went down it, and we got it on video. I should have put it up here, but it was a highlight. And she just she was a trooper and just just went right on into the water. Some people were chicken to do it. Jenny just took care of business on that. We were so proud of her. She was amazing. Another thing I heard from multiple people, which was cool, uh, was how the older youth on that retreat were really watching out for the younger kids who went and just making sure that they were included in everything, making sure that they were having a great time. And again, that's typical of our youth group. I don't have no reason to schmooze you guys. You're just really good at making people feel apart, no matter who they are, no matter what their personality, that kind of thing. We're really good at that. We're really good at having family, community here. I think one of the great things we will have as we continue on in one service is this. The chance to fully experience Brookwood as one with one heart. We just did a baptism today with Luke, and that was so great. And everybody got to be a part of it. Uh, next week, we're going to uh, administer the Lord's Supper. And it's really cool because we're going to do it uh, old school way, where we pass uh, the plates to each other. And I'll explain why we're going to do that, because there's a reason for that. But, you know, baby dedications, uh, uh, prayer commissionings for people going out on mission work, a special song, passing of the peace. To me, it's highly significant that we can gather together as one and experience all those gifts as one. And yeah, the fuller room is great too. It was great when I was up there getting changed and everything, just listening to you all. And the conversation between worshipers and worship leaders is so strong as we worship with one voice and with one heart. We have such wonderful community, and I'm hoping that that will enhance our outreach as well. But what's all this going to take? Very simply, it's going to take love. Love is the greatest act of, of worship, really. Worship is an act of loving community. It's having love as our primary motive, as our selfless motive, willing the well-being of the other. And it's not about us. You know that. Worship isn't about us. It's about glorifying God and reflecting His love as we love one another. Paul really makes that clear in, again, his letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, there was a lot of division about worship in the church at Corinth, and I can't go into detail, but I want you to notice the structure of it. Uh, often when Paul is trying to make a point with any issue, with any of the churches that were struggling with something, and he wrote a letter to him, he, he would deal with it in a number of chapters, but the central point was always in the center, in the middle of what he was talking about. And this stuff about division, about worship in Paul, uh, is, is his primary message is in the middle of it. I want you to look at it. He starts talking about leadership and worship in chapter 11 of uh, 1 Corinthians, then he moves to this. Leadership and worship, order and worship, and he specifically addresses the Lord's Supper in the latter part of uh, uh, chapter 11. Gifts in the unity of believers. All of chapter 12 is about what? You are one body with many parts. And all of us have a certain place. And even when people are weaker, we take more care of those body parts. So he gets into that. And then smack dab in the middle is what? The hymn to love. Starting at chapter 12, verse 31, but it moves on into 1 Corinthians 13, which you hear at weddings a lot. 
Faith, hope, and love abide in these three, but the greatest of these is what? Love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It goes on and on. That's right in the middle. He goes on to talk about worship, gifts and building up of worshipers in chapter 14. He goes on from there, proceeds to talk about order in worship, mainly the administration of the Word of God. And finally, he deals with men and women responding and worshiping. But note what he did, and this is typical in a lot of his teaching, is that the central teaching on some sensitive issue will be right in the middle. Obviously, it's about love. Now, what kind of love? What is this central teaching about? You know this word. It's agape. It's a word that actually was not used a lot for love in that part of the Greco-Roman world in Paul's day. There were other words, as you know, philio and eros and others. Agape is an interesting, interesting term for love. It literally means inclining toward someone or something, moving in the direction of another. Isn't that great? Willing the well-being of the other, moving yourself, inclining yourself toward someone else as eventually you incline yourself toward God himself. So it's active self-giving is really what it's talking about. It's willing the well-being of others so that God himself would be glorified. So really, worship should move in a way that we incline toward one another. And when we do that, we succeed, we succeed in letting worship be an act of loving community. But it's not just an act of loving community. Secondly, worship is an offer of living sacrifice. You know, the word worship comes from an old word that is worth and ship. It's the combination, really, of two words, worth and ship, which is going to come up right there. And uh, it, it literally comes from those two words, and it means when we worship, we're extolling that God is worthy of worship. But there's another word, another word for worship, and it means literally work of the people. It's a work of the people. Worship is a work of the people. What is this work? It's working toward that worship destination. We had a worship destination earlier that I think Blake read. We have that every time, and it's where we are trying to go in the service, focusing on some particular theme. But where does it start? How can we work to get there together? We all gather together as living sacrifices for God and for one another. Let me just say, and you know this, first and foremost, we don't come here to get something out of worship. That's not what we do. We gather to offer our praise and our very selves to God. That's where worship starts. We present ourselves as holy and living sacrifices. Let's look at the the verse here in, in Romans 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. How? To be a holy and living sacrifice. Worship is a verb. It's what God's people do. And it's when we offer ourselves as sacrifices to him. It's really all of us who are on the stage, and God himself is the audience, right? We're not the audience. God is the audience. Now let me say, there are times if I've had a bad week, I'm going through a crisis, I'm going through some kind of struggle, I will even say, I need to get to worship. I need to worship with my tribe, with my family of faith, and because I need whatever it is or a combination of, of comfort and encouragement and inspiration and just knowing that God is listening and that others can listen to me as I struggle. And that's fine, but even in those moments, my goal, my primary goal needs to be to offer myself to God and trust as I'm doing that, God will deliver to me whatever I need to hear from Him, that God will respond to those needs that I have. 
you know, talking about love and sacrifice, we, we, you know, missions is so, we're so good at it. it it's primarily what you and I do. Uh, we're really good at it here in Brookwood. It's in our DNA, as we say. But it's interesting how often missionaries will experience something in the context of worship that will help them realize how they need to become living sacrifices. What do I mean by that? Well, just one example. Just recently, I was reading the wonderful book uh, by Dr. Ruth Tucker, who is one of the great uh, missiologists of our time, study of, study of missions. It's called From Jerusalem to Arian Jara. And she talks about Dr. Eleanor Chestnut. I think we have a picture of her up here. In 1893, Dr. Chestnut arrived in China, and she uh, was a medical person, and so she wanted to build a hospital, and she decided that she was going to build it with her own money, it was with her monthly salary of what would have been like $1.50 a month. Imagine that. And she was doing that just to find and, and purchase bricks and mortar, right? Well, by the way, when uh, the mission board found out that she was needing uh, more money in order to do this, they offered her a lump sum of something just to help her out with that. And her response, and I'm quoting her here, oh, that would ruin all my fun, <laughs> which I just, she'd be great here at Brookwood. She's just a spunky go-getter. I just love her. That would ruin all my fun. I, I'll handle it. And so she did that. But as she was building the hospital, she was already being visited by people who had terrible medical conditions. It was in a very poor area of China. And she began performing surgeries in her bathroom, believe it or not. And, and there was one man who came. He was a coolie, which, which in China was kind of a derogatory term for somebody who was an unskilled laborer. But he came to see her, was, was very, very poor, and, and he wound up uh, uh, having diabetes, and she had to uh, amputate one of his legs. And uh, there were some complications with the leg as she looked at it for the next few days, and she said, come back in a few weeks, and we'll figure out what we need to do about it. Well, uh, about two weeks later, another doctor who worked there with her, another missions uh, physician, uh, saw her one morning, and she was limping, and, and uh, he asked her what, what the problem was, and she just said, oh, nothing, don't, don't worry about it, no, no big deal at all, and she went on, limping away. Well, he found out later uh, that day from one of the nurses that she discovered that what this amputee needed was some skin grafts, and it was during a worship service that she was convicted, as she said, to let herself become a living sacrifice for this man. And so he needed a skin graft, this coolie, and she wound up having it come from her own leg. And she took it with only local anesthetic. Uh, amazing. Later, by the way, during the Boxer Rebellion in China in 1905, she and the four missionaries who were there at that mission were killed when a mob stormed the hospital. Uh, an amazing example of someone who became literally a living sacrifice in more ways than one. Now, I have no idea what the worship service was like during which she made this decision to give of herself for this skin graft, and really, uh, as she continued to be convicted, just to stay there on that perilous mission field, very dangerous mission field. I don't know what the music was like. I don't know what style it was. I don't know what the sermon was like. When they did the Lord's Supper, I don't know what that was like. My guess is it would be very raw and primitive because they didn't have hardly any money, and it was in a, in a very, very poor, what we would call third world area. Few resources. But in that place that was so raw and primitive and unsophisticated, she felt God talking to her to be a living sacrifice. So here we are where we worship. 
I would hope and pray that we could at least become living sacrifices, not just to God, but for each other as we incline ourselves toward one another in worship. And I hope we can do that together. Because worship is an act of loving community, and yes, it is offering offering ourselves as living sacrifices. And finally, worship leads us to the destination of the Lord Jesus. I've always loved the image of heaven that we find in Revelation 19, 6 through 9. Let's look at that. John has this vision, and he says, Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd, or the roar of mighty ocean waves, or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to Him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and His bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. And the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. I love this image of heaven. It's it's a wedding feast. And we are the bride. Not just the temple of Jesus, or temple of the Holy Spirit, but the bride of Christ. And it says that, that we have been prepared, and are being prepared for that feast. But even now, even when we worship here, in anticipation of that later date, we're preparing ourselves. And when we're at our best, doing the work of the people in glorifying God and inclining toward one another, we bring that future banquet with Jesus closer to us. We've talked about the Celtics here, who talk about the thin places, where heaven and earth, because of some worship experience we're having, just seem to come really close together. Come really close together. And that should be our goal every Sunday with the worship destination. Let's go back to the worship destination. That's always our starting point here. And it's really not about style. It's where we are heading. Tom Bandy, who's one of the leading ministry leadership consultants along with worship leadership, puts it this way. He says, worship style has less to do with the type of songs sung and more to do with the way the gospel is presented and experienced. Ultimately, worship is not about what we prefer or don't prefer. It's about what opens others to the Spirit's leading. We're seeking the Spirit's guidance as we move along toward that destination. Uh, Keith, who's not here this morning, some people have asked him, well, what, what, what is your worship style? And he always says thematic. He says we, we take a worship destination, a theme, and move toward that throughout the entirety of the worship service. I personally like to call it destination-driven. Destination-driven, regardless of the music and the type of music and what's done, as long as the elements point toward a particular destination toward which we are moving, That's the work of the people, and hopefully that's where we are moving in order to glorify God. And again, it takes inclining toward God and to one another. But we use all of the strengths and gifts that we have here to magnify that theme with the goal of magnifying Christ, right? And we have such a great slate of gifts here right now, I would argue, between Keith and Brian, and Melinda, and Anna, and the choir, and the band, what amazing gifts we have musically. Other people here with other gifts that they have, we're we're, we're finally positioned right now to experience this in such a profound way, leading us to whatever worship destination we have. When we're at our best, that destination will lead us not only to glorifying God, but lead us to the destinations out there that God is calling us to out in the mission field. But before we do that, before we move out there, we need to experience the wonder and grace right here of God the Father 
and his son Jesus Christ. Let's look at the passage that we started with. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we leave here, will we savor the wonder of what it means to be unconditionally loved by God the Father and His Son Jesus? And do we realize what a miracle and a gift that is? I hope it's so impactful and evident here that we will want to look around and say, are you sensing this too? Are you seeing this? Reminds me of a Dr. Catherine Chapman years ago. She was the a children's ministry professor at Southern Seminary when I was there. And she was sitting in worship one Sunday, and in the pew in front of her was a little boy about four or five years old. And, and she said the sermon was droning on and on, was just, you know, kind of like right now. And No, no, no. But uh, it was just droning on and on. It was just kind of a dull service. But there was a boy sitting right in front of her, and he did one of these things like kids sometimes do when it's just getting so boring. And he went, ugh and slapped his hands like this uh, in his lap, and then he looked down, and he was mesmerized. You know what happened? The the light coming through uh, the stained glass was refracting into his hand, and he had a rainbow right there in his hand. And he was like, what? What's this? You know? And he started looking around, and he didn't want to move it because he thought, I don't want to lose this thing, you know. But, but he started looking at his parents, and they were just, shh, shh, you know, and they, they weren't looking, and he looked around hoping somebody would see, and he was like, is anybody else seeing this? You know, he was just mesmerized with, with wonder. Finally, he kind of craned his neck back and saw Dr. Chapman, and she nodded like, yeah, isn't that great? And he was like, yeah, yeah. And he just, she said he sat there until the light moved, and, and she just said it was just amazing. And he had this sense of, are you seeing this? What a miracle, what a gift this is, something so unexpected. Well, I hope as we worship, it's not so unexpected. It's a destination that we're trying to get to. But we might ask, is anybody else seeing this? What a gift it is to worship together with one heart, with one voice. My hope and prayer is that together with one voice, we will. Let's pray together. Thank you, O God, for your love for us. Thank you that we can gather together and do our part of the work as we incline ourselves toward one another and ultimately toward the people whom we're trying to reach with your gospel outside of these doors. Ultimately, we hope that we are inclining ourselves toward you. We thank you for the gift of worship. We thank you that we can gather together as a family of faith, as a tribe, looking out for one another, being there for one another, serving one another. We pray that however we worship, that with each destination we have, we will do the work we need to do to have our minds attentive to you, to be all in and all on as we are in here. Be with us as we continue our worship in here and as we leave toward the destinations toward people who need to know your gospel. We pray these things in your name. Amen.